Again, he made a useful run and teed it up for a simply sensational finish. Welcome back to the national side, Jack Bonaventura. A first international goal, and it means so, so much. Hey now. Hey now, what's up everybody? The Sportscasters Podcast, Steve Bennett here. Season 13, episode number 19, I believe. As we are cruising towards the end of another season. Before you know it, as I say every fall, so it seems like it's a fall thing. Football season starts, and then it's Halloween, and then it's Thanksgiving, and then before you know it, it is, you know, New Year's. And we're in 2024, we're going to be in, and uh, it just keeps going faster and faster every year. But uh, it's been a bad weekend, a bad week, not the best sports week I've ever had. i got a good show for you today. Uh, Richard Deitch from The Athletic is back, uh, one of the sportscasters OGs. Always love having uh, Richard on. I've been looking forward to doing this for a bit with him. And we're going to talk about all different kinds of things, sports media related. We recorded it on Tuesday. And I wanted to get it up kind of right away. And then I'm like, well, let's see what happens with the Braves. And let's see what happens with Italy. And, uh, you know, I should have just put it up right away. Uh, might have been a happier introduction. But uh, let's. Uh, Richard Deitch will be on first. And then after the book club. Uh, Marty Smith from ESPN will debut. He's got a new book out called Sideline CEO, and we'll discuss it with him after the book club, and then we'll do one last thing at the end. Uh, Let's start with the Braves real quick, though, because they are gone as quick as they were in the playoffs. And if you listen to this show all year long, uh, if you listen to it all summer, you'll know I said that the most important game of the Braves season was going to be game one of the DS. And that if they didn't win that game, they get picked off. And that's exactly what happened. They didn't win that game. They won game two thanks to some heroics. And then they went to Philadelphia and got their clocks cleaned. And they're out as soon as they were in. They don't have enough pitchers. Uh, the bats went quiet five days up. It's a ridiculous uh, format. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the top five teams in the league are out of the playoffs. Baseball is supposed to be 162 games. There's supposed to be some advantage to being by far the best. And five days off, that's not it. So they need to figure something else out. They won't. They won't because I think baseball likes the chaos. And I think with that said, the Braves and the Dodgers and other teams need to adjust to that. And you need to realize that just like the Braves in 2021, and they won it. You're better off being a 90-win team that's hot late than a 105-win team that dominates all year long. The one seed is not as desirable to me as the three seed. I would much rather, I think, take my chances in that two-game playoff against a team who barely made the playoffs just to keep going. And there's so many damn off days built into this playoff, too. 
you know, it's five days off, then you play one, then you're off again. It's crazy uh, how bad it is. But the Braves, Snit was horrible after the things he was saying about what a phenomenal season it was. No. You don't play sports to have phenomenal regular seasons, you know, unless you're in the Premier League. You know, unless we're talking about soccer in Europe, the goal isn't to have a fantastic regular season. The goal is to set yourself up in the regular season to win a championship in the playoffs. And the Braves, two years in a row, woefully, woefully uh, not close to that. And so I don't want to hear what a wonderful season it is. I don't care how many home runs they hit. I don't care how great their slugging percentage was as a team. I don't care what club Ronald Acuna ended up in or what trophy offseason he's going to win, if he's the MVP or not. I really don't give a shit. Sports is about championships. They're not going to win them, and they got clowned by the Phillies, who are laughing at them. The Phillies, the Phillies think the Braves are a joke. A joke. And they are, and they deserve whatever criticism they get. And I, I've had enough, enough of the loser mentality from Snit, who's a nice man, and I hope he doesn't believe any of that crap, uh, but he was not good in the aftermath, and Alex wasn't much better. And he's got to find a pitcher or two, okay? And 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 Max Fried is great, and Spencer Strider is great, but Kyle Wright's already out for the year next year. You can't count on Charlie Morton. He's too old. Uh, Bryce Elder is a one-half wonder, okay? Ian Anderson's never going to be valuable again. They need starting pitchers. Because the lineup is too good. And don't tell me there's not money for one either. Because they have a lot of very favorable contracts that people have signed. And that building was packed all year long. And they make plenty of money. So if you want to be a big boy, be a big boy. And let's uh, let's see what happens this offseason. But that to me is just not acceptable. I don't, it's That was a horrible, horrible, horrible showing in the postseason by the Braves. And it totally negates everything that happened in the offseason or the regular season, in my opinion. I don't give a shit about NL East titles. We've won a billion of them. Who cares? It's garbage. That was garbage. They're garbage, and they deserve every criticism they're getting in the media in Philadelphia. Philadelphia absolutely clown them. Clown them. And for me, I mean, baseball season's over. I can't watch the Astros another minute. I'm totally burnt on the Astros. And uh, I can't watch Philadelphia either. So unless I get a Diamondbacks uh, Diamondbacks versus Texas World Series, I'm probably out for the year on baseball, which will go down as one of the worst baseball playoffs of all time. There has been one good playoff game so far this year, and that was game two of Braves and Phillies. It's been Horrible. Horrible. And you can thank the format because the format is garbage. All right, speaking <laughs> of garbage, the Saints. <laughs> now, that's, that's some garbage right there. And they were garbage today again. And they lost 20-13 to 13 to Houston. Uh, and the one thing I was sure of after the season last year is that Dennis Allen wasn't a head coach. And... Pete Carmichael wasn't an offensive coordinator and they had to make some changes and they made none. So what do we have this year? We have a team that has a coach who's not capable at the head and a coach that's not capable running the offense. And Pete, Mike, 
Pete Carmichael should have been fired weeks ago after the Tampa Bay game. Uh, unfortunately, apparently New England is so bad that it bought them another week. He should be fired today or tomorrow, but he probably won't be because it's a short week. That's going to give him another break. But the Saints offense is a disgrace. Their red zone offense might be historically bad. They were 0 for 3 today. You know, Derek Carr, like 350-yard passing, they had 13 points. They made a disastrous decision to keep this rookie kicker who was horrible today and missed the one important kick all season he's had in Green Bay. Uh, Their roster is really very talented. They have talented players. They have a good roster. Uh, But they have an incompetent coach, um, and they're inconsistent, and the offense is terrible, and it's too much pressure on the defense. And they didn't have a great first half today, but they played fantastic in the second half. And the Saints offense had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and they failed and failed and failed and failed again. And they're not fun to watch. I have no, like, connection with this specific team of course I love the Saints but each team every year has a personality you know you have like the 06 team one of the most loved teams of all time or the 17 team or of course the Super Bowl team which is another level you know but then you have the 14 team all-time worse and this team is somewhere near there but there's like an indifference to it I just like sit on my chair I'm like on my phone it's like waiting for it to end. Like they're so boring. They are more boring than watching like SAT prep on like local access TV. When I was a kid, the, the regents exams, there would be a teacher on local access like going through problems and you could call and he would help you with your problem. It's more boring than they're more boring than that programming. If someone told me you have a chance to either watch the Saints and Jaguars on Thursday or U.S. History and Government Regents Exam Prep, I'd probably go with U.S. History and Government. So at least it wouldn't be aggravating. They're aggravating. They're boring. They stink. It's just terrible. Dennis Allen is terrible. Pete Carmichael is the worst offensive coordinator in the history of the team. I can't believe he's still employed. It's awful. Awful. The Sabres got started. Okay, that has to be good. Like, look at Okay, sure, the Braves blew it. Sure, the Saints stink, but come on. The Sabres and that great finish, and they just missed out on the playoffs, and the young core, and Zach Benson made the team, and Devon, they're going to be great. Nope, they stink. 0-2, two awful games, same problems I'm used to seeing. No coverage in front of the net, bad penalty kill, give up too many goals. The first line looks dead. Tage Thompson, Skinner, and Tuck, they're still at training camp somewhere. They're too busy enjoying. They're at the Bills game right now, I think. They're more worried about what the Bills are doing, what the Sabres are doing. The first two games have been a disgrace. Now, there's 80 left. There's no reason they can't, you know, turn it around tomorrow. Of course, they could. Uh, But they have not added to uh, any pleasure to my life with them starting the season. Stink. The Sooners were off this week. Lincoln Riley lost to Notre Dame. Shout out to my boy Josh. 
and uh, Notre Dame fans everywhere. That's a great win. That's something to be excited about. Ah, but let's end on this. Something good. Italy, the Azuri, the national team, won 4 to nothing versus Malta yesterday in a dominating performance. Here's what's good about it. Italy should dominate Malta, and they did. And towards the end of the Mancini era, too many games that we should have dominated weren't dominating. And other than the tie in uh, Spalletti's first game against North Macedonia on an unplayable ground, uh, this the Spalletti era has been very good. His rhetoric is good. His lineups have been good. The teams are picking has been good. Udagi is now capped. Um, and I'm interested to see the lineup tomorrow on Tuesday. They play England on Tuesday. And next podcast, I'll have more to say about Italy. We'll know more about where they are in terms of qualifying for the Euros. They're going to qualify for the Euros. I will know more about where they are in terms of that quest and how this England game plays out. So there's one lone bright spot right now in my life, and it's Italy. So Forza Azuri. And uh, let's take a break. We'll be right back with Richard Deitch. Thank you for checking out the Sportscasters podcast. Don't forget to check out my other show, the 24-inch podcast. Hollywood Dave Rollins, Paula Bennett, and myself look back at the career of Hulk Hogan, the immortal one. We do it every other week. We cover matches from the 80s, the 90s, his entire career. We read the news from the era. It's a great nostalgic look back at the greatest wrestling career in the history of the business. Be sure to check it out right on this feed, brother. Hello, Richard. Steve, how are you? Not bad. How are you doing? Doing well. Hanging in. Yeah. How's uh, How's Toronto post Blue Jays elimination last week? What was the What was the buzz on the Blue Jays up there? No, oh, yeah, no, that. Uh... That was a somber funeral. Um, this Blue Jay season was probably the oddest season, in certainly in the five years that I've lived in, in Canada. Um, the team was the playoff team. The team was competitive all year. But I've never seen a fan base sort of dislike a, a team's play more than this fan base disliked this Blue Jays team. It's not that they dislike the players, per se. It's just it was a it was a slog and a frustrating year from beginning to end, I think, based on the expectations of the team. The expectations were that they had a legitimate shot to win the AL East and they should have at least gotten to the second round of the playoffs. And then once again, in back to back years, though, their own sixes group now, right? Yeah. The season ends on a horrible note. And um, John Schneider's decision to take out Jose Barrios Oof. when he's really pitching well, that, that's that been the major story in terms of the Blue Jays up here. And um, it may end up costing the GM, Ross Atkins, this job. We'll see. I, I don't know if that'll be the, the case. But there's a the fan base now has, a, I think, a big disconnect with the front office. And the front office is going to really, I think, need to do some stuff to – try to win them back again. I don't know if the blue Jays can play in the sandbox, but um, I have a, like a crazy theory that 
the way the season ended, I think they're going to go hard for Otani. I, like, I don't think they'll get him because I think someone else will pay him more. And he may want to live on the West Coast. But I think that – I feel like a move like that is really the only way the fan base is sort of going to forgive the the front office. But uh, but I don't know. I don't know if the Blue Jays can play in that in that salary uh, – in that area code. It is such an international city, though. I wonder if it would appeal to him in that sense. That that's right. You know? That's I think honestly, that's the that's the hook. If that's you're, your pitch. Yeah, that's where you, that's, the Blue Jays. Yeah. You make that pitch. You say that um, Toronto is very much like a cosmopolitan world city, like New York or yeah. London or Tokyo. You can not only um, become uh, you you would not only be a star in the United States. You'd now be able to sell all your merchandise and everything else in another country. Um, essentially the weather is not really impactful because you're inside a dome all the time. And so that would be the pitch, but I don't know Otani well enough to know, like if he even consider living on the East coast and then just the realities of all this, like at a certain point, if you're competing against the Mets or the Dodgers or the Padres, you know what, you know, I mean, those guys are like willing to just money's not really an issue for them. So like at a certain point, you're going to get outbid. And I don't know if, I don't know if, again, I don't know if a team like the Blue Jays would be willing to go to, I'm just making this up like, I don't you know, $65 million a year or something insane like that. So um, we'll see. It, it, uh, it, they, they, they need something um, because it was a really, really disappointing year. And now people are obviously on to the Maple Leafs and the Raptors. Well, and I think it had hurt to kind of get passed by the Orioles, if that's what happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're so far ahead of them. It seemed like five minutes ago, you know, and now here they are. They're the down, they're the team the Blue Jays were a few years ago, right, with all the young players and the exciting team. And and then also the Rays got off to that great start where they were 13-0, and and I think they won 99 games. So they were always kind of third bats in the division all year. And then, like you said, taking the pitcher out, not only did they take a pitcher out when they did, that was the guy they handpicked, right? That was the guy they said here. 175 million or whatever they paid him come in and then you, you kind of cut the legs out of them in the biggest that's why you pay that guy that much right for for that start 47 pitch i hate that crap that that bothers me like nothing else in sports i think that when it gets so geeky with the analytics and the baseball playoffs and yeah i mean I the, just, the, not the me. frustrating thing here is that <laughs> like they they didn't use the eye test no. they used the pre-script and yeah. Again, I'm not sure they would have won because they just couldn't hit. I'm right. not even sure they would have right. run, but it's very frustrating, I'm sure, as a player where you have this guy who, you know, you paid a couple of years ago to be essentially your, the ace of yeah, your team. Yeah, that's that mean, guy. I, they picked that guy. Yeah, yep. it's yep. Kevin Gossman now, but, yep. like, you know, they paid Barrios to be, like, the top pitcher on their team, and they took him out in the fourth inning with um, the guy giving up one hit. So... I get the frustration. The Orioles are, uh, I mean, they're a inc- really fun team. They have an incredible farm system. I think they're going to be great for a long time. I am very surprised, though, that they're down in the series. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, this playoff format stinks. Um, being off for five days is just such a huge disadvantage for a, major, I agree. for a Major League Baseball team. The way the game is played, the way it's based on rhythms, and you know, have, it's made to be played every day. You know, and to have five days off, then you play game one, you have another day off. It's like, I don't know. I, they, I, this format, it's not good. The Braves, 
pick themselves off the mat at the last second last night. But if they didn't, you know, you'd be looking at 300 win teams down 0-2. Yeah, and if you you're know. baseball, I mean, the re- I think, you know, I don't know if there's a phenomenal viewership matchup. I mean, I think baseball would love to have the Dodgers there because that's obviously a historic team and a great market. The Phillies can draw. Um, I, I, I don't know. I feel, to me, I feel like there's a lot of Houston fatigue out there. There is. So we'll see what, um, you know, sort of how that plays. And the Braves, you know, the, the, the Braves are a, they're an interesting team because they really are very, very popular in the South. But I, I don't know if people North and West, how much they care about the Braves. It's hard to know. Well, there are uh, the but, TBS fans like myself. You know the TBS. Yeah, and they're they are people. a fun team. Yeah. I mean, they're they're they they have a lot of fun players, and and maybe maybe they're going to become. I'm not saying they're the Yankees or the Red Sox, but maybe they, they do have the potential to be kind of a national team to me. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all, all all these um, you know people who grew up watching them on TBS. Like I, when I was growing up, I became a Braves fan because. They were the only team I could watch every day. They were the one team I could watch every day, you know? And that's the way baseball is made to be. Maybe you don't watch every inning, but, you know, you're in it with them every day. If they're part of your summer, you get that rhythm, you know? Um, But uh, Brian Anderson, that's his name, right? I hope I didn't screw up. Yeah. What a call. What a great game he had. It's a shame he can't be, like, the voice of baseball because you only get that one round, really. Um, Well, I guess they do two rounds. They do that other series of the CS. There's no World Series component, which really hurts him, I think, as far as becoming the voice of baseball like Buck was. But, man, he's great. I think he's the best baseball play-by-play man going at the national level right now. Your thoughts? I think... Uh, it's, I'm trying to say, I mean, I, I think Brian Anderson's fantastic So as a baseball announcer, first and foremost. Uh, having talked to him many times, I, I think he really does like being part of the Brewers. Like, I think he likes having a... Right, like a local like affiliation, in terms of being the the sort of the national like the reality is there's only one broadcaster who does the World Series and that's Fox. Right, and Joe Davis has been anointed that position. And Joe Davis is a young person, much younger than Brian Anderson. So I don't know if Brian Anderson will ever get the op- the likelihood is he will never get the opportunity to be the voice of the World Series. Yeah, probably. But not. he probably has the next best job. Like if you have a if you have a um, if you have a championship series call. Like I feel like that's the next best job out of um, out of all this, and I think, you know, he still has a lottery ticket career, so he would. I, I can't see him. I, I mean, I think guys are competitive, and I think everybody obviously would want to call World Series because it's sort of the pinnacle of the profession. But Brian Anderson sort of have, has will have done everything in baseball but that, and so. You know, it's a it's a it's a great career in terms of like I, I I it's very like there's a number of guys I like who I feel like could be easily do a great World Series and I definitely put Joe Davis in there. I like Jason Benetti a lot. I think he's excellent. Um, Gary Cohen to me in New York could oh, easily call a World Series. Yeah, like, that whole booth, questionably. John Chiambi of ESPN could you know I, Dan Schulman absolutely could I get him in the Blue Jays? He's he's as good as he gets. To me, there's probably like uh, five to ten people. Honestly, who I would consider World Series caliber play-by-play people. Yeah, and I think Joe Davis has grown into the role, too. Like, I'm not dismissing him. It's not like I'm saying, like, oh, bad pick or he's not good enough. I think he's good, and I think the World Baseball Classic was actually, I thought, really big for him. 
too. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he had, a, and he had a, uh, he got an iconic moment, right? Yep. He got yeah, the, the he got the end game moment, and that's what you know. The reality is sometimes in order to like become, um, in order for your calls to become famous or order for your calls to become memorable, you have to have the moment. I yeah, mean, if moment. uh, mm-hmm. if the U.S. beat the Russians in 1980, like ten nothing. No offense to Al Michaels, but like, it's not going to be remembered the same way. And so, uh, you know, you Brian Anderson got. He got a dream call last night because, in a, like, an amazing play happened in that game. Yeah, which was the second amazing moment in 20 minutes. You know what I mean? He had the Riley home exactly. run, and then he had the 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 double play, which I thought he handled great. You know, with uh, they yeah, might, no, yeah, I mean, it, you know, you gotta and, at the same right. time, like, when opportunity comes, you gotta have a memorable call, and um, and he did. I mean, I feel like Iron Eagles always great at that. Like when the moment comes, um. He's he's nails it, but I, I mean I feel again like all those top guys like you know Carlin usually nails it a hundred times. I feel like Nance nails it just about ten out of ten times. Joe Buck, they're, they're again the when you get to that level, um, as a play by play person, there's not really anybody who I would say is not good. I mean we are. I'm trying to sort of think like maybe in the nineties, like you might've had somebody who was doing like the really high level games. You might not have loved, um, or who shouldn't have been there. But, um, I think today, trying to think of who Gary Thorne was great in hockey, Madden and Summerall were great. Uh, Didn't one of the carries do, 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 do big time games. Not Harry. Well, but, the, uh, the thing was baseball, it skipped around, right? Because they had that silly, like, MLB network thing before yeah, the actual yeah, network. It's ba- yeah. yeah, it's baseball. But, like, yeah. Mike Breen, you know, all the NFL guys at that top level who do play-by-play, I think, are really, really good. Sure. NHL, yeah, Mike Emmerich, gold standard for a long time. Gary, Gary Thorne, Thorne yeah. Kenny, Kenny Albert's excellent. So, like, I just think when you get to that level, nobody is not good, at least for me. I, I you know, I know there are people who, like, sort of write, in the same space I do, and they're very critical of broadcasters. But like I, I, I think by and large, the I just be blunt. Like these people, I feel like these people do their job better than most of the people in the world do their job. And so, uh, and they're doing it in front of an audience of you know five to 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 a hundred million if they're doing the Super Bowl. And so um, we are at a very very good place just in terms of sports fans, as, for play-by-play people. Analysts are different. That's where the subjectivity comes in right. massively. You know, you may like Tony Romo. Someone else may hate Tony Romo. You may like Mark, Jox, Mark Jackson. Somebody else may hate Mark That's That position is is truly subjective. But I think the play-by-play stuff is, is you know, the, the quality. The, the, most people who are doing, who work for a major place, they're on the they're on the top echelon. Even even people who you're like, ah, that guy, I don't love that person. They're usually still good at their job. You just might not like their style, or you may think they're too loud or too this. But uh, I think we're in a good place for play by play. Right. I think Burkhart's the only one you and I would disagree on, just because I think he's a studio guy. You know, I think he's top three host studio host. I think he's the least best of the top. Announcers and of the all top, sports. yeah. Well, I mean, he's he'd be competing against Michaels now. Yeah, but, yeah. You know that's tough. I'd uh, open it up to all the sports if you want, though. Too like the top guys. I'd put Kenny Albert and Sean McDonough over him. Yeah, put, I, I, to me, like you know. I, I think Burkhardt is just very, very much gives you a professional broadcast, and that that's fine for me. Um, do I do I would I put him above 
Um, you know, Buck, Nance, no, Michael, no, 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 I wouldn't. Yeah. Not for the NFL, right? So I just wouldn't. But I, I, but I agree with you as a studio host. I think he's phenomenal. Oh, he's and, amazing. Um, he's amazing. Yeah, when but, he's but at he work should, in baseball he, World he Series, he will continue to get better as a play-by-play guy, and he should never give that up because that is where the the money so and the, the um, yeah, and the sort of the standing is. You know, you could be unless you're Costas. Then it's opposite. Yeah, or right? Ernie Johnson or something right. like that. You know, yeah. it's hard to be like – it's hard to have a studio job for 30 years unless you're sort of anointed as such. And like, you know, so Costas, Menifee, James Brown, um, those – those are they're sort of exceptions. You right. know, you watch with like For NBA sure. Countdown yep. and some of these other shows, they flip all the time. So if you're Burkhardt, I think you're in the you, – you made the right call. You want to you wanna make sure that you have your hand in play-by-play. Let's talk about hockey for a second because it starts as we record starts tonight, and I think I'm putting this up today anyway, so should be the same day as people start to hear it. But um, if not tomorrow, but uh, how do you think it's gone so far? So we're this is year three of the um, the TNT ESPN split, and also we've seen everybody do everything once now. You know what I mean? Like Albert got to do a cup, McDonough got to do a cup, and also what because they're alternating the big events. And splitting things up. To me, it's a dead heat. Like, I love McDonough and I love Albert. They're two of my favorite dudes off the air and two of my favorite guys on the air. Um, I might give Kenny a little bit of an edge when we're talking hockey just because I think right. it's his number one where I think football might be McDonough's number one. Uh, but they're both interesting because they're both guys who do all sports, really, or have. You know, I mean, McDonough called the Francisco Cabrera one of the great baseball moments of the 1990s. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah. others. But, yeah, what do you think so far? I, I mean, I, I think that's a dead heat. Yeah. I mean, I, I like you. I probably, if you really were like, you know, like I had to put my house on it or my kids on it, like, yeah, I'd probably pick Kenny Albert just because I think he has more, he's more intuitive to hockey because he's just called more games. I mean, he's called, you know, look how many Ranger games he's called just yeah. like, you know as a radio guy. So I think he's it's a little more intuitive hockey for Kenny than Sean McDonald, but both are total pros when it comes to it. They both give a good call. Um, I think production wise, both, um, both have been, both have been good. Um, ESPN and, and Turner when it comes to the production of hockey. Um, I think the tonnage has been good, particularly on ESPN. If you're, if you're an ESPN plus uh, um, subscriber, you get a ton of hockey, you get a ton of additional programming. Again, it gets subjective. Like you may like Linda Cohn, you may not like Linda Cohn. That that's all subjective stuff. I'm talking about sort of the business of hockey. They've given you a lot. I think the one difference, at least for me so far, is I think the Turner Studio shows better, just because I think like it just feels freer and looser. Not to say the NH, not to say the ESPN one is like too tight, but I just think they found something with that Turner group. Like you know, uh, Carter, Bissonette, Gretzky. Agreed. Lundquist and um, and Liam McHugh, like they just they they like each other and they have fun. They don't take each other, they don't take themselves that seriously. It's not inside the NBA because nothing is, but it's but they've kind of found that formula. Yeah, they took a page where, out of their book. Yep, they yeah, took a page it's like out good TV. Book, yeah. Like I think they've done. I also like um, it's a different sport, but I really like the um, CBS Paramount Plus soccer show with Kate Abdo, Thierry Henry. Oh, so good. So right, good. it's the same thing. It's just like yep. they're they. It doesn't feel like you're watching TV. It feels like you're watching a group of people just sort of sitting around and having fun and talking about that sport. 
And Turner's got that. Like yeah. they have, they have that with their studio. And I think that at the moment is the separator for them versus ESPN. Where ESPN blows them out because Turner's not really in the business of this is I just think in terms of like the information or the reporting that Wachinski, yeah, like Emily yeah, Kaplan, Wachinski, yeah. and Ryan Clark. Like sure. ESPN actually has a group of people who are dedicated to providing you news, and Turner doesn't do that. So, um, so I, I just I feel like each place has its own strengths. And, um, you know, is it, are we in a better place than where we were with NBC? Uh, I think the only reason I would say yes is just because I think like, you probably have more options between the two networks. But I also thought NBC did a really good job. And I thought NBC, NBC absolutely treated hockey with more prestige good than time. ESPN does just yeah. because it was, it was a more important property for them. And the reality is there's no way ESPN is going to prioritize hockey in the fall and winter when they have the NFL college football. Like, right. you know what I'm saying? It's yep. just like, they're not doing that. Um, and that I get, if you're a hockey fan, that'd be the one sort of disappointing thing. It's just that like you, what you do, you know that like your sport is like number five for ESPN. They do it's, the same thing to baseball though, too. So I can't take it too. They personal. do. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Your sport. Trust me. Yeah. Like you, you're in the same group as 15 other sports. Like yep. if you're not in college football or the NFL, or the NBA, you're, you know, you're you're just at a different tier when it comes to ESPN in particular. About the studio shows too with CBS Paramount, the one thing I think that they do is they give them time. You know, they give them time to breathe. Yes. They give them a chance to, to 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 get comfortable and to, you know, and I would add the Syria group, which is similar to the yep. um, to the uh, Champions League group with uh, Poppy Miller and uh, Marco Messina. And a couple other people that they mix in and out of there too. Really, really good because it's the same thing. They give them that time and they give them the freedom to kind of have fun too, to joke around, to be light. Um, and um, man, I love all, you know, all those shows are so good. And I think it's been so good for hockey um, to have that. I mean, listen, it's, it's small compared to other things, but. Everything in hockey can be small, so a small thing can be a very big thing for hockey. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah, no, so I, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, at least when I've thought about hockey, like it's a regional sport. Yep. Like that's just the reality of it, and it's going to be massively popular in like Buffalo and Boston, and if Chicago gets good, like those regional numbers are going to be through the roof, and that's okay. Like that's you know that's it's a great regional sport. It's always going to be around. Um, in the same way, baseball is a great regional sport. It's got a little more pop nationally, obviously, than the NHL when you get to the World Series and stuff. But, like, there's really only one football – there's only one national sport in the United States just yeah, based yeah, on reach. Yeah, football. And that's the NFL. Yeah. Then there's the next levels of, like, college football and the NBA are kind of, you know, well, let me ask semi-national you sports, Hold right? Or, or, or maybe, like – they're one a national sports. I, I mean, they are national sports. I wouldn't say they're regional only for sure, even though um, there are regions in the country that are more passionate about college football. But the reality is like this, the NFL is the national sport and then it's all levels after that. And right. hockey is in the, the top tier levels. It's just not at the top of the top tier. I think basketball gets a little bit overrated because of its online popularity. Like I think, on your phone, I agree with you. I don't see any reason to believe it's anywhere near 
the same tier as the NFL or college football um, linear-wise. I don't see any yeah, yeah, numbers. Yeah, that I, would... I think it is a very much a – well, the one thing basketball has that over a lot of the other sports is demos. It's the younger demos, and that's good. That's, and that's because of their, their presence on the phone, right? They're, they're great right, online. Right, yeah. they are. Yeah. They are absolutely a dominant social media sport, and I'm with you on that. Um, linear, uh, yeah, they don't touch the NFL. Um, linear, though, they're in the neighborhood still with college football, I feel like. It, you know, the college football championship game, obviously, will blow out the NBA finals, at least, like, in today's age. But once you get to the bowls and stuff, like, um, you know, the NBA sort of has the same viewership numbers that the bowls will have, like, in terms of, Post if you can if you can the apples to apples postseason stuff, but yeah the 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 what's different is a lot of NBA fans will not watch a full game at all. Like they just consume the highlights yeah, or see the or share the highlights. Yeah. They just yeah NBA fans that they're not. I mean I don't know how many fans even left are watching full games. Maybe other than NFL fans, but the NBA. You're right. The NBA is very much a sort of a different watch, which will be interesting to me because I think there's absolutely going to be a streamer who gets part of the NBA rights packages. And I'll be curious to see how they cut it up. Yeah. Like, yeah. will, will they get a better audience if it's on Apple or Amazon? Like, I don't know. Um, but, I, but at least there's more young people on those streamers than there are watching, you know, ABC on a, <laughs> on a Sunday night or Saturday night. You know, I'm sure I'm talking when I say young people like 18 to 40. Sure. So, yep. um, so that'll be interesting to see. But that that sport still, it's great inventory. There are very very famous people who are playing it, and it's a global sport. So basketball will always do well in terms of popularity in the in the U.S. To me, it'll always be a top four sport. A lot of this is just sort of how you see college football. And if you know, if me right. and you were taping this in Tuscaloosa people would be like, what the hell are you talking about? The right. college football is the most popular sport in the country. Right. If me and you had this conversation in the middle of New York City, people would be like, I don't really care about Alabama. Yeah, or Indiana, right? Yeah, the Mecca's yeah, it's just so, yeah, some of this is just, so much of this is really based on where you live. Although college football has, over the last couple of years, become, it, it's definitely filtered more national, as I feel like these big conferences have, like, expanded. Yeah. You know, and, like, that's sort of... Like you, you, there's just like you can be a Michigan Ohio State fan sort of anywhere in the country now. Where it felt like um, 25 years ago, if you were a Michigan Ohio State fan, you you almost exclusively were probably living in the Midwest. Would be my guess. Yeah, we've seen what Dion has done. It's interesting because college football is growing so f changing and changing is the word I want, not growing, changing yeah. so fast that I don't think either of us could give an accurate description of what it will be like even in five years. You know, I mean, the playoff is going to Yeah, expand. no, I don't know. I mean, here, yeah. I'll give you, actually, as we're taping this, right? So, uh, let's see here. Um, the Red River rivalry, okay? Yep. This just came out. Oh, Oklahoma, Texas. Texas drew 8.1 million viewers. I mean, that's a wow. national game. That's a yeah, huge, that's big time. Great game, too, um, though. A great game. Great game. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but that's national. Like, yeah. the reality is, like, no regular season NBA game is getting that. No regular season MLB no. game. No regular season NHL game. The only game that the only regular season sport that would even be in that universe is the, is the NFL. Yeah. So that's where like college football absolutely has its argument that like when the top, top teams play against each other, they're putting those kind of, um, 
they're putting those kind of numbers up. Um, and even and again, the numbers Dion and Colorado did against Colorado State at like one yeah, in the morning. Incredible. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the biggest. Uh, <laughs> wow. That's the biggest. That's the biggest viewership story of the fall. Right. Is Colorado's yep. emergence. Now it's going to drop a little bit just because they're. Um, They've you know, lost. they don't have as many national yeah. opponents. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the programming windows for them aren't going to be great. But, yeah, that's been an, that's been an amazing that's been an amazing story. Um, you know, th- there's an argument to be made that college football was an undervalued national asset for a long time. And I think now it's finally this sort of it, it, we have, you know, the networks have finally sort of recognized the pull that it has. Um, and so anybody who would sort of want to say to me, like in order of the most popular sports in the United States, sort of based on interest. And if you want to go NFL one, college football two, NBA three, like I wouldn't argue with it. I, I think you, you you have a fair argument to make there. And the interesting thing too is it's almost like don't worry about what sport you are, be a sport. In the sense that have you heard McManus talking at all with uh, Arian and Marshawn? He's saying like just in, and he would know right. He's uh, McManus would know the one negotiating these deals and stuff. Just be a sport. The sports rights deals are going to be the thing to carry linear television, you know, into the next couple decades to keep the cable bundle alive to whatever extent it can stay alive. I mean, we've seen the huge deals NFL just got, um, NHL just got deals they would have never, or NHL deals they would have never dreamed of. NBA is now preparing to do their next deals. We saw the WWF, only half of theirs has come through right now. Uh, the uh, SmackDown side, and they got a bump from the one billion that blew my mind five years ago. As a guy who's love wrestling, what about these rights? And then, then the other side though is somehow the Pac-12 ruined their whole conference, screwing it up. So it's tenuous. You have to be careful. But what about the rights deals? What are you watching in terms of the next couple of years? And what do you think about the numbers and kind of where this is going? Well, I mean, I think again, premium, um, premium rights, split it up, right? Everything's going to be split up and fragmented. Yeah, but I mean, premium. You know, the NFL, NBA, college football, college football playoffs. Those rights will still be of great interest and be a great business for people. The the real question is going to be, you know, as we saw with the Pac-12, like, what about some of these rights which just are not as attractive to networks where once upon a time they would have bought a ton of money they would have just bought them just to have them and now they have to be a little more cost efficient in a in a universe of declining cable subs i mean the real question is just going to be like how long linear television sort of can it's not that it's going to go away but how how long these places decide to sort of go with the new sports paradigm of um, that's their business. That's what Fox's business essentially is now. It's just right. like, it's like live. Um, I think a lot of these other networks probably will start to make that flip. Although my caveat is, and I just don't know enough about this is like, what is the new rights deal? I'm sorry. What is the new contract with the writers guild? And eventually when the actors sort of, uh, sign their contract, like what's that going to mean for programming when it comes to linear and like sort of traditional legacy, places um and that's going to be a big deal because like you know these 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 outlets or companies you know they they do have a finite amount of money to spend on programming and sports has to be part of that spend so you know again 
I caveat all this because like, you know, ABC, uh, Disney is talking about selling ABC. So like that would have seemed unheard of once upon a time. And now that's not unheard of. I think sports is still going to be a billion dollar business. I think what inevitably is going to happen is that these places are going to be much more judicious and they're already doing that when it comes to what they buy and how much they pay for this stuff. But you can still do a great business around top tier sports. It's just going to be a different business. Where once upon a time, like that business may have been ABC for Disney. It's going to be ESPN plus for Disney. And then you have to just decide how much you're going to charge an individual customer for this over the top product. And that's where I think for me, the next really interesting thing comes is like, is there a place where consumers just decide I can't do it anymore? You know what I mean? I can't, I can't get the seven streaming product because it's costing me $400 a month. Oh, that's that's, going to happen. They're going to start consolidating. Consolidation is going to happen. And we'll see in like five years, like what remains, who are the streamers that remain as the players in the market? I obviously, I think Amazon and Apple will be just giving their money, but you know, does Peacock survive? Does Paramount plus survive? Does ESPN plus survive? Like that, that eventually like those are, those questions are going to have to be the ones that, that get figured out. Right. Because there was a day where it was like, Oh, that's only 10 bucks a month. Oh, it's like two cups of coffee. Now it's like another 10 bucks a month. You gotta be kidding. Right. So it's like, yeah, right. The yeah. problem is at a certain point, um, consumers are, cannot do that. Um, you know, you're also going to see a lot of, you've already started to see it. A lot of teams are going to be the people who just, you're going to be buying the product from the team directly if you are a fan of said team. Um, but again, that'll get to the pricing point. Like, are you willing to pay $120, like you in Buffalo, are you willing to pay $120 to have access to every Sabres game that's not on a national network? If you're asking me, yes, but you know. Right. That, that's, well, they're but all, as a broader they need, question, they need, it's they need tough. the diehards, yeah. and right. they're going to have to charge yeah. the diehards a lot. Because that's how they're going to make their money. I mean, the Sabres are probably the reason I didn't throw my direct TV equipment into the front yard the second right. YouTube. It's always the case. Right. Because I always thought in my mind, it's like, well, as soon as you, uh, the NFL ticket isn't on direct TV anymore, I won't be on direct TV anymore. But then when that moment came, it's like, well, wait, but what am I going to do about Sabres games? You know what I mean? And uh, Yeah, but this is how, you know, like yeah. ultimately – the, the business used to be that a lot of people who um, weren't sports fans were obviously, you know, subsidizing sports. The future is going to be sports fans are going to pay for it. And the question is going to be how much are they going to charge to make this a, um, you know, premium product. And generally what they're betting on, and they may be right about this, is that sports fans will be willing to pay almost anything to get access to like the teams they love. Yeah, I mean, Sunday, well, Sunday Ticket has certainly pushed the limits over the years in terms of what they've charged. I will say, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because I want to hit a couple more and then let you go. But um, the fact that the changeover from DirecTV to YouTube has been as seamless and as painless and really successful as it's been is a huge credit. Yeah, it's good. Pe- people like uh, you, the YouTube They've products, done a great job. They really have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's well, a couple Sunday things. Ticket was terrible for most people. And so... YouTube, um, I feel like, if nothing else, had the benefit of coming into a situation where there were a lot of people who were unsatisfied with the previous product. That's a good. That's a good place to be. Yeah, I mean, I had it for ten years, and I mean, I I never had a problem with it. But um, I was watching one. I'm, I mean, my focus is usually one team, you know. So, and, and the, I think the biggest thing it was restrictive. 
DirecTV was real restrictive about it, right? Like, you couldn't buy the streaming version unless you absolutely had to. You know, you couldn't ever sign in more than 12. You know, it was screwy where YouTube's been a bit more liberal about it. They let you sign into as many devices in your house as you want, which is something I was concerned about when I heard about it. I was like, you know, I got, you know, a bunch of TVs in here. Am I going to be able to watch in the bedroom and the basement? You know, they've taken care of that. Everything's been I'm shocked. I thought for sure that first week that by the second quarter, I'd be furious about something. And it just never happened. So yeah, no, it's good. I, yeah. I mean, uh, it's again, most of it's anecdotal that I see on social media, but it seems like people are generally speaking, yeah, happy with the product. The only thing they want is like eventually, and I'm sure it'll happen. Like pick those games, play. yeah, pick the yeah, games. Yeah, you want to be able to choose your yep. four games that you choose. I'm sure that'll happen eventually. Yep, and and the one thing, and I don't know why, the brilliant thing they did is just making that screen to screen. Like Directv had that forever, but it was useless because. They had the boxes so damn small, like I couldn't see anything on the screen, you know, because they would put graphics, they put ad, whatever. This has been a true like screen to screen for game experience. I don't know. They've, I'm shocked, shocked it's been this good. But yeah, that's good news. Yeah. It's actually nice. To- uh, a couple more, and I'll let you go. Uh, let's talk about ESPN for a second in general, because uh, they're always interesting. The worldwide leader, right? They had the layoffs. You know, they had a bunch of. Just a couple strange layoffs, like the basketball number one team had luck, lost an analyst, which I was surprised by. Maybe I shouldn't have been, but, you know, whatever. Um, then they added Pat McAfee, and then poor Pat had to take the brunt of that initially, right? Because seemingly they spent the money they had just cut on him. Um, how has that worked, though, Pat McAfee? Because I hear that it's kind of still doing great online, but nobody's noticed it's on TV yet or something. But Pat, yeah, I mean, but Pat McAfee has been huge for ESPN, right? You get the Aaron Rodgers stuff. You got uh, Deion Sanders. Like he, Pat McAfee, having Pat, I think, has been more important to them than having his show, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, listen, he, he, I think already they're getting a lot out of him because he's everywhere, right? which is what they want to do with Stephen A and Mike Greenberg and now McAfee. So in that sense, like, he's... If, if you like him, he's helped solidify college game day. If you don't like him, obviously, then you're not you're probably not going to watch college game day anyway. So he's helped. He's really helped um, their most important college football studio property just by being there every week. Mm-hmm. He gives them a shitload of inventory every day, which is really, really important to these networks because you got to have something on every day. That I mean, in some ways, that's what they're paying him for. And so the linear numbers, I mean, when I popped in there and looked, it's like 250,000, 300,000. They're not big numbers at all. But, you know, like he's got a big, gigantic, like social media audience, right? His, his YouTube numbers are good. The clips get shared. Like you said, he gets some really big time people who come on, like Aaron Rodgers. I think so far they're probably satisfied. I, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like, it's almost impossible to recoup the money that they pay all these people, like on a ROI. Like, how do you recoup like Joe Buck's whatever it is, fifteen million dollars a year? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like it's, it's all it, in right? some ways it's it's all subjective as to how the business um sort of thinks like your value. Like ESPN would say, our games now feel significant with Buck and Aikman, and the yeah. NFL likes that we have Buck and Aikman, and we think it helped us. In terms of our pursuit of getting a Super Bowl. So that's invaluable, right? And I'm sure with McAfee, like the thought would be like the guy we can put the guy on um 
We can put the guy on college game day. We can create a whole other alternative stream where people are watching him and his buddies on the show call a football game. He gets us these new YouTube videos. He gets us these new Instagram stuff. So I think if you're ESPN, you're you're happy with him. I, I think you you know you've you made an investment. You're using them, and by and large, you're getting value out of them. Um, I don't think the linear numbers are ever going to be great. To be honest, I just I don't know how a show in that time slot like does well. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I I don't know either. I think you're right. Just the 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 quantity of it and the ability to chop it up. Which, I mean, cable. Yeah. You got cord cutting to start with, and yep. you're putting a guy in the afternoon. Like I just I what show to. What show between 12 and 2 on ESPN is going to get 800,000 viewers in 2023? Like, probably nothing. nothing. Yeah, probably nothing. Yes. Uh, ESPN's so interesting, though, too, because I don't understand. Like, I think what you said, too, I think for them, it's not about the vet. Like, what, how much did Mina Kimes get? I mean, she's good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, but... I saw what Martian reported. I, you know, I, I, when is it comes worth to I'm not, by the way, he's, you know, he's, no very, he's very connected. Okay. The ESPN. So I, I'm not discounting his numbers at all. But uh, what I would tell you is uh, there's usually a reason numbers leak. Like it's either the company wants them to leak or the they want to lowball yeah. other people yeah. or the agent wants them to leak yeah. because they want to signal to the market. Look how much I got. Right. Look at me. My Kimes, person. What you got. Yeah. But yeah, she's Mina comms is like a little under two million. But this, that's honestly rounding error money for ESPN. Um, so. But you know, so like, I would think all those layoffs are rounding money error. Like, what was the point of that? Like, and they're paying these I'm people anyway, and they pay uh, them it's anyway. Just, it's yeah, it's disgusting. It's gross, and it's just an example of of um, Disney. I mean, all these companies are essentially their CEOs are run by the stock price. Yeah, it's like a single and what is the, the easiest way? Something? What yeah. is the right? What is yeah. usually the easiest way to get a stock price up? It's to cut labor. Yeah, it's look, gross. Wall Street. We got rid of these people, but you're still Correct. paying them. Right, correct. <laughs> well, the accounting the accounting on that is that you can take the loss from the previous year. It doesn't count against the budget for the next year. But Shoot. these are again like to me, I used to fight with the ESPN PR people on this one. Like to me one of the worst expenditures that they ever made was the studio downtown in New York. I get it's a great place to work. If I lived in New York it would be incredible, but they spent whatever, yeah, 100 million dollars on that yeah, thing. Yeah. For a vanity project. Yeah. Like that so to me, like I do feel there are places where if they would have, in my opinion, been smarter, there's a lot more people who would be employed there. The McAfee stuff, like I, you just like, yeah, like you can make the argument, oh man, they could have spent all this money on staffers. But what I'm, what I would tell people is they wouldn't have done that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they wouldn't have right. earmarked it yeah, for no. behind the scenes people. Exactly. Like yep. that's the problem. And you can then say, well, that sucks, and like. That sucks that Disney thinks that way, and I'm with you. Like, trust me, I I survived so many rounds of layoffs at SI. I've now been part of rounds of layoffs at the Athletics. It sucks. I loathe the business because there are a lot of people who are leaving it because of just the realities of the economics. But these places have money earmarked for talent, and it wouldn't go elsewhere. Yep. They just that's just not how they think. I'm not saying it's right. I do think, though, there are a lot of decisions that ESPN's made over the years where you can be like, this was a terrible decision. And where I put the South Street Seaport studio, I put that up there. Where it's like, had you not made that decision, um, maybe there'd be more money. Or had you not like invested in these rights and then you know, three years later just kicked them down the road, maybe there'd be more money. But the, you know, this, those layoffs were Disney-related, and they were dictated by the corporate and... Um, 
all just you know what really what what, 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 what what is infuriating to me is when I see CEOs making forty million dollars a year, which is gross in itself, and then right. sort of come out and tell me that they can't like pay their writers or they can't pay their that that's where it gets a little frustrating. Right, the eighty thousand dollar jobs or whatever that you're cutting. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah, I just I'll never understand it. I know you're saying it's like you put on last year, but it's like you look at Keyshawn Johnson, right? They cut him or whatever, and he had a couple years. He had years left of million. Like, why not just have him work for you? And then when it runs I, out, I, I, say, I, I'm telling you, like not, I agree with you. This, this, this happened at Sportsnet. Yeah. yeah, this happened yeah. with my buddy McCowan at Sportsnet, who I came up to take the job in Toronto with. You know, he's the highest paid Canadian broadcaster, and they paid him to leave. Nah, what they what <laughs> the reason for this? Okay. Is accounting okay, and it is that they can write the loss off the previous year, and it doesn't count against the upcoming budgets heading forward. But I am with you; it is strikes me as insane to pay someone who is talented not to work. That that is an insane, just way to manage employees. And all of these networks, in particular ESPN, they have done that for years. And I'm with you. It makes no sense. No. It sounds like what Juventus got kicked out of Europe this year for, to be honest. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's again, like, yeah. I, I, if you have, to me, I mean, there, there's just not a lot of visionaries in the media. Like, to me, like, Guess not. the best leaders are the ones who take talent and then figure out ways to use that talent to monetize and make more money. The easiest thing is to just lay people off, pay them, even if you have to pay them to leave, and then don't use them. It, it, that that's just easy business, but Wall, but but corporate corporations, especially ones that are listed under the markets, that has been their modus operandi. They just cut staff to raise the stock price. It's the it's 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 just the easiest and how long lazy, does that work? Laziest thing to do. And how long till it drops? You know what I mean? It seems like a small, small like I don't think you know. I don't know. It's not laughing, but it doesn't matter because, right. like, ultimately, if you're they the got CEO, what they accomplished that day, your job right. is to stay employed with your right. multi-million-dollar job. And so, you know, I'm a union person. Like, I believe in workers. I, I think uh, corp. I think CEOs have been horrifically disgusting historically in terms of the amount of money they make versus the people who are on the line, so to speak. Um, but I have been in enough places to know that the least visionary move that any CEO can make is to cut people. And that's all they almost always do right. because it is an easy expense to cut. It shows no vision, but that's ultimately, which is in my opinion, why not to get into a different topic. You need unions because if nothing else, you can then protect your workers if they do get cut, right? To get the, the most fair severance that they can get. All right, this, we got caught up in that. The sportscasters here figure, finishing up with uh, Richard Deitch, our guy from the beginning, really. I think episode two you were on, Richard. Which is incredible. Way incredible. Back. Incredible. Back in 2011, we didn't have kids. You lived in the United States. It was, I know. It was, I know. It was, it's, it's a lot of shit. Is that, I worked at Sports Illustrated. You worked at Sports Illustrated. It was a different, mm-hmm. different world back then. And then, of course, in 2013, we had a moment together. Which I think that's right. Will tie us, you know. Sadly, sadly, unfortunately, that social medium that we had that moment on Twitter, I think, has become. Well, it's, uh, it's I would not even say inoperable, but pretty close. X. It's called X. X. Yeah, yeah it's. I'm not going to quit until either Elon leaves. Oh, or I'll it's never quit it. Yeah, but it's. Uh, man, it it like this weekend really proved that, or this past weekend really proved it, it's really become a. 
almost a non-functional place for news. You, you didn't think it was able to handle the, you're talking about, I assume the Middle East. You, you didn't think it. Yeah. I mean, again, I just think like, I think you have to, in my opinion, this sports is a little better. Interestingly enough. I just think you have to really, um, how do I, how do I say this? You have to really be on your feet in terms of who you follow and who you don't follow. Okay. When it comes to like these kind of news stories. Now sports is a little bit different because like, I feel like, most people already sort of follow all the sort of newsbreakers who have like credentials in the space. So like, like who doesn't follow like Woj if you're an NBA fan, sure. you know what I mean? Like it's, or, you know, or, or Peter Schaffner, King, or whoever. Yeah. Whomever. Right. Yeah. So yep. It's a little different with news because like stuff then gets like placed in your feed and you have no idea if this video is real, if it's fake, if it's old, if it's AI, where sports, like, I feel like if I can, if I can at least, um, you know, like authenticate that this is Peter King's feed. Like the reality is, it's probably going to be real NFL news. Um, That's so, fair. yeah, my thought, my thought is more community it's not about notes sport. have helped. Community notes have helped. I think a little bit. Yeah, I agree. That. Community notes have helped. And I the one thing you. I'll say about Elon is he did pay forty four billion for it, which even for a guy that rich, I think that matters. And I will give him credit for he's done some really dumb things. But he does back off of it. He's not like stubborn in the sense like some people in his position can be where it's like, I had this idea. So even though everyone in the world thinks it's stupid, I'm riding it to the death. You know, like he'll remember like one day we couldn't view tweets because there was like a view limit. Yeah, he changed that. He got off that. Yeah, although I think you know I, th- I, mean? I honestly think that was uh, I think something happened engineering wise. And I think that was the cover. I will say this. I mean, you may disagree with me. You may not. Okay. I believe I believe Elon Musk worked himself into a forty-four billion dollars shoot. Oh, that and, definitely happened. That definitely yeah. happened. Yeah. And, I, and, I, know, and I don't happened. know if he has a. I don't know if there's a good out for him. I think he likes having the influence for sure. But I th- I just think any smart business person or even mildly smart business person would see that this thing is a disaster and I would try to get out of it if I were him and just cut your losses. I, I even if your losses are 20 billion, I, I, I just, I don't know how the value of this thing isn't going significantly down unless not to be conspiratorial on you, unless this was the plan to sort of buy it. But even, I don't think Elon Musk, would, like I, I think even in his level, would you buy something for 44 million billion dollars to no, blow it up? That, no. that seems insane too. Right. I think if that was the plan, it'd be over by now. You know, you know, I think you're right. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he ever, I think he worked himself into the shoot. I don't think he, I think he was a Twitter addict. I don't think he really ever wanted to own it. And then I think he probably was egged on by whoever he was egged on. And when you have that kind of money, like that's like 20 bucks to me and you. Right. And he just, he decided to go for it. And then the people at Twitter were like, fuck, we're never going to get this kind of value for it. and here you go. Imagine 40, so, yeah. 44 billion being accident money. Yeah. I, I do wish there was – I really do wish there was a sports sports alternative because I would join in in a second. They all fail. Right? I, everyone's yeah, they, into right. threads I, for I a day. I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah, everyone's into threads for like a day. It's like – I think the number one thing is you can't build your your following count up quick enough. You know what I mean? Like, no chance. Right, yeah. right. I mean if you're Woj and Shanams or those guys, like you're never going to leave Twitter. That, right. That's why you made your $10 billion. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's wild. Um, all right. I guess we can stop there. I don't. I don't. I, real quickly, what's uh, what did I miss? Like, what's big on the horizon? What do you have in your notebook saying, okay, this is going to be the next big sports media thing that I that I missed? 
Uh, well, I, I think in terms of things you got to pay attention to, obviously the NBA media rights are coming up, yep. college football playoff rights are coming up, yep. ESPN going direct to consumer with with everything is coming up. You know, those are the big sort of ten pole stuffs, and then you know in smaller stuff, there's always somebody who's got like a contract renegotiation coming up. Although actually in the NFL at this point, all those top jobs are uh, taking, you know, Tom Brady coming into the booth next year. will yeah. be a big one. You we'll think he will come about. in? You think he I do. will do it? Yeah. Okay. I, know, I think at this point, um, at least for a year, I don't see him not taking that salary. Um, but I don't think Brady will be at Fox for 10 years. I, that I don't see. Okay. But, but yes, I do think year one, he'll come in. And then after year one, you just have to judge if he likes it or not. Uh, he strikes me as a guy who wants to own teams, not be a broadcaster. I got a good one, and this is—I'm going to keep it vague, and you can give a vague answer. Uh, when e, I, when ESPN, the day that they announce that they are going to be totally to direct to consumer, like you can buy the whole thing, right? Right. Will Richard Deitch be covering sports media then? Uh, so that's that's. Uh, if it's 2025, I'd say it's 50-50. 50-50, okay. 2024, I'd say probably the answer is yes. Um, mm. uh, and just so your audience knows, like when ESPN does that, you still will be able to get ESPN on cable. Right, right, they're just right. Just basically right. gonna yep. all, all that's gonna happen is that you now have the opportunity to watch like the college football championship and Monday Night Football. Like to pay the price just direct to you. You don't. You wouldn't have to go through any place. You else. don't need a login. In, in some ways, it's going to be huge, right. but in other ways, it's not going to be that big. Because, like, you know, if you still have Comcast or whatever, like nothing's going to change for you. Right. Yeah, I'll probably still have Directv, and I'll just still probably just log in with my Directv credentials. Yeah. So By the, the way, real quick, you yeah. like uh, Adam Copeland going to AEW? Yeah, I think it was probably good for him. I read some comments from uh, Triple H, and um, seems like it was no like. Bad new like bad terms or anything. Uh, seems Good. like they. And do you think Punk will go to the WWE? You think that's going to happen? Yeah, just because I think everyone eventually comes back. I think so too. You know, I and I think that Punk, who's like a wrestling guy, you know, like grew up on wrestling and is a wrestling fan or whatever. I know he's combative or whatever, and maybe we'll say opposite. But I know deep down, he's a guy who loved wrestling, and that's why he ended up doing it for a living. Um, I think he he wants to come back because everyone comes back. He wants to, he wants to be the one, right? He wants to have that moment whenever that is. He wants to. Also, it gives you know. him a chance to uh, change the narrative a little bit off his AEW uh, um, tenure. Like he, he can right. create a yep. he create a better ending for himself. Um, also, like if you're if you're WWE and it's a short term deal, get the cheap heat yeah, for him. Exactly, back. get that that's, moment. That's Pop yeah. a show in Chicago, pop a rating, whatever. The the one thing I'll say because I, you know I'm generally speaking I'm a lapsed fan, although I'm still I, I I'm a huge I love wrestling, so I still like to follow the news and and things like that. I don't watch necessarily as much as I used to, and when I do watch, I watch older stuff because that's what I love. But um, you know, just the the numbers that I see with the business and what blows my mind, I guess, as an old school fan, is like how WrestleMania. It doesn't need a match, right? Like it used to be when I was a kid, it's like, oh, Hulk and Andre at WrestleMania, so they're going to sell 90,000 seats. Now it's like, oh, WrestleMania is at Jerry World. They could fit 100,000 in there. They'll sell 100,000 seats. You know, like, the, the, it, yes, it's such WrestleMania is the draw, change. not the, yeah, yeah, not, not the, not the card. Yeah, such an insane change. It'll be, but you also know the card's going to be good. So, 
you know what I mean? It's not like you got to worry about that either. It's interesting to see how they'll they'll do with the new company and how much longer Vince. That's maybe something we didn't talk about. We can do next time. You know what? What will it mean for these two to be together? You know, how long will Vince McMahon stick around? Will Stephanie McMahon come back? You know. Oh, that's a good. I like that question. All actually. those crazy things. You know, like yeah. what? What's gonna happen I like now? The, Steph's a great character. I hope yeah. she comes back. I think again, everyone comes back. You know, and she's Real. and she's still married to Triple H, who's doesn't seem to be leaving anytime soon. I think probably wait. She's probably waiting for Pops to get out of the business. Yeah, you think that they're combat? Her and Pops are in bad relations. You think? I think I. I mean, again, this is beyond. Yeah, we're speculating. We're talking no as fans. Reporting. Yeah, we're talking. As fans. I think she probably walked away because I think she didn't want to destroy her relationship with her father as okay. father daughter. Okay, and I think that's why she walked. I think I. I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's ever been easy to work with Vince. I think it's probably almost impossible to work with a seventy-something Vince, honestly. Especially when you're trying to be the CEO and he's supposed to be stepping yeah, out. You know, he's supposed to be out point, of the picture a little bit, right? At a certain point, Steph has to know that her father did a lot of bad shit and like doesn't want to yeah. be involved in the corporate end of that. And so, I think she, I think she want, I think she probably needed a break, probably just mentally. And I think you are correct. I think she will come back. But I think she will come back post Vince. That's just I'm, I'm based on nothing, pure guess. Sure, and I don't know how old their kids are either. But that business I never stops. I think they're teens, that, young. Yeah, teens. so maybe she wanted to go to some high school sports. You know, maybe she wanted yes. to do some stuff. That business is just so consuming. There's not a yeah. single person in the world that has been in it that it didn't burn out at one point or another. Yeah, but you're right. Everybody comes, Bruce Pritchard. They all come. You back. come back. You come back. You get burnt out. You go away. You come back. It's, I think it's, I mean, one, they clearly love the business because it's fun. And two, um, it's really good money at that level. Yeah, especially so I, now. Yeah, it's not like it was where only Hulk and Vince were making money in the 80s or whatever. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right, brother. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other questions for me? That's it. All right. You're Nothing good. Else. You're good. I'm all good. All right. Thank you as always. Thank you. All right, I want to thank Richard Deitch for being on the show today as we continue our quest uh, to replace Night Moves. Try that one. I don't know. It's probably not it, but we tried it. All right, Book Club. Book Club is busy right now. Got a lot going on. Uh, One more time. One more shout out for this one from the summer. Uh, Wingmen. The unlikely, unusual, unbreakable friendship between John Glenn and Ted Williams by our friend Adam Lazarus. I'm going to call Adam, see if he wants to come back, talk to us about it more detailed than we did the first time, and do our Steelers draft. But pick this up. It's a great gift, especially for like a grandfather or someone who really loved baseball in this era, who loved Ted Williams or a Red Sox fan, or even someone who loves history. Uh, can't recommend it enough. The Wingmen. The unlikely, unusual, unbreakable friendship between John Glad and Ted Williams. All right. One, two, three, four new ones here to start us off in the fall. First, let's go hockey. We got two good ones. The first one by Doug McLean with Scott Morrison. Uh, it's called Draft Day, How Hockey Teams Pick Winners or Get Left Behind. Uh, got a copy of this in the mail. Excited to read it. Shout out to Simon & Schuster Canada for hooking it up. 
Uh, and we are going to hopefully have Doug and Scott on together or one or the other uh, to talk about what's a really good book. I've read it already. Uh, it's out now, so you can get it. Again, it's called Draft Day, How Hockey Teams Pick Winners or Get Left Behind. Uh, another hockey book also sent to me by the nice people at Simon & Schuster Canada. It's a guy named Ken Reed who's been on the show before uh, for his books. This one's called Hometown Hockey Heroes, uh, individual stories about people from small towns uh, who had an impact on the hockey world. Uh, we'll have Ken shortly. Uh, this one I just got. It's more of a down-the-road thing. Uh, I have an ad- advanced copy. It doesn't come out yet for another month or so, but it's called Charlie Hustle, The Rise and Fall of Peep Rose and the Last Glory Days of Baseball by Keith O'Brien. Uh, the New York Times bestselling author of Fly Girls. Uh, great cover. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, Pete Rose is a baseball legend who compiled more hits than anyone in the history of the game. A record that remains unbroken and for decades captured the imagination of a nation. He was the American dream personified until 1989 when a scandal brought him crashing down and changed the sport forever. Um, so we'll look into this. Seems like a good one. We got some time on that, though, so I'm sure we'll mention it. Now, the last one, which it took a lot to get it, which I'm surprised. I'm surprised you didn't send me one right off the jump, but I finally have it. It finally came. Our good friend, Kenny Albert, a mic for all seasons, my three decades announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and the Olympics, uh, forwards by Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier. Uh, it has been released. It's available in stores. Uh, Kenny calling the uh, St. Louis, excuse me, Los Angeles Rams and uh, Arizona Cardinals game. So two former St. Louis teams in that one um, today. But his book, A Mike for All Seasons, is out. Uh, and I got this top priority in terms of reading it. And we're going to get it done. And then we're going to have Kenny on to talk about it like you know we would. Uh, love Kenny. He's one of my all-time favorite people uh, from doing this podcast and can't wait to read and promote his book as best as we can. Hopefully it's a hit for him. So a mic for all seasons by Kenny Albert. All right. Speaking of books, one last call out for this one. Uh, Sideline CEO is the name of the book and it's by a guy named Marty Smith. Uh, it's his second book and he was nice enough a couple weeks ago uh, to join me. We record this you know, a couple weeks ago now. Uh, but the focus is mainly on the book, so nothing really dated or anything like that. Uh, but I thought a really strong debut here by Marty. Um, and I'm looking forward to you uh, hearing about it. Again, Sideline CEO Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches of the Four by Tim Tebow. Uh, Marty Smith, the author. Let's take a break. We'll come right back with Marty Smith. All right, our next guest today is from Virginia, and uh, he is best known for his awesome show, Sports Center Presents Marty Smith's America. He's a graduate of Radford University. He's making his debut on the Sportscast today to talk about his new book, A Warm Sportscaster's Welcome to Marty Smith. Hey, Marty, how you doing today? 
I'm great, brother. I appreciate you giving me the platform to chat. I hope you're having a great day. I am. The sideline CEO leadership principles from Championship Coaches. Where 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 did the idea come from to do this one? I know it's your second book. Well, I had the idea many years ago, actually. I would say 2018 or so. And really, at first, it was just a title. Because the title's pretty awesome. I mean, sideline yeah, CEO yep. just has a great ring to it. And then I started to try to figure out, okay, what is that? Well, I've been blessed with my job at ESPN over the past 17, 18 years to engage in some tremendous leaders and these great coaches. And so I thought, okay, let me just start interviewing them about their leadership philosophies, uh, the various tenets or, you know, uh, variables or attributes that come with that. And then when COVID hit, I was kind of at home for the first time in my adult life because as sports reporters, you know, we're pretty nomadic and on the run. Uh, And I started wondering, like, what happens if sports doesn't come back? How am I going to – what am I going to do here? Yeah. Let me just control what I can control. And so while my wife and I were very intentional about our time – with one another and our children during that time when I was at home, I started to have a little anxiety about what that future looked like. So I said, I'm going to go write this book. So I called Mac Brown first. Mac's a a great mentor to me, like my dad. And 53 minutes later, I'd gone to a master class complete with amazing storytelling and great specificity. Was the master class and and losing to Bob Stoops and OU? I'm sorry, just an OU uh, joke. I'm sorry, just an OU okay. fan hey, joke. If, if you're a Boomer sooner, <laughs> by God, you you shouted from the mountaintops. I like it. All right, sorry about that. Um, My bad. <laughs> no, it's all good, brother. Okay, I appreciate go your allegiance. All right, go ahead. But I mean, it was just such interesting storytelling about crises that he'd managed, about how he's evolved as a man and as a leader, about the value of trust all of those different pillars that are in the book, I thought, damn, this thing might have some legs. So the next day I spent transcribing that interview, and the next day after that I called Urban Meyer. Well, 57 minutes later, this book was undeniable because Urban was just fantastic. And then I just started rolling with it, man. And in the fall of 22, my publisher called and said, hey, we need a book, man. What you got? And so I told them, this is the one, and they greenlit it, and off we went. And ultimately, I interviewed about I interviewed 20 championship coaches about these different leadership principles, like what exactly is leadership in your estimation, trust, delegation, communication and listening, Christ, uh, self-evaluation, evolution, et cetera. And I think there's so much that people can just – really inject into their daily walk, uh, just as I have. Yeah, I remember when I was a senior in high school, we had a an interesting essay assignment. We had to pick a word similar to leadership, a word that means different things to different people, and sort of write about what it means to me. And I think I wrote about passion or something like that. And I remember as I was reading this, thinking about that, like you, this is almost, you know, that that essay project, but about leadership. And about mm-hmm. what leadership means to all these different people and how they have, you know, 
perfected it, used it, you know, things like that over the uh, over the years. And it's the list is really a who's who of coaches and you know people from the college football world and football in general. It's really kind of a kind of a, a very slick idea. I thought. Well, I appreciate that. I'm I'm grateful that I had a publisher that believed in it and. Folks who have gotten early copies, the feedback is very positive and things they had not considered before and things that maybe even if they had considered it before, they had never been able to articulate that way. Like, for example, I did a speech this weekend to uh, a, a group in Kannapolis, North Carolina, and one of the people there was a high school football coach. And he said he had this this lesson that he was constantly trying to teach his teams, but he never knew how to really drive it home. And there was a lesson in the book that I said in the speech that made him go, oh my goodness, that is it. This is so easily consumable and digestible for my guys that they can get it. And so that's what I'm hoping for. And not just coaches, man, this is anybody. This is so much of this is applicable to our lives, to fathers, to mothers, to professionals in any business. And so I hope that people do receive great spirit from it that they can use in their walk. Did you ever take the time to count how many national championships? and 55. 55. Okay, you'd have. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I'm looking at this page alone, right? I have Roy Williams. John Calipari, Tom Izzo, and Nick Saban. So, 55 college or professional championships in those pages. Right. You got like Dick, Dick uh, Doc Rivers, for, uh, you know, 08 NBA championship head coach, for example, um, on the pro side. You have women's sports, men's sports, college hoops, college. Um, was there anyone you, you – I mean, you have Greg Sankey of college commissioners there. Anyone you couldn't get that you were you – were, was there a, a blue yep. whale out there? Yeah. There were a couple that that I reached out to who I believe will probably write their own leadership monsters someday, one being Dawn Staley, South Carolina women's basketball, whom uh, I've gotten to know pretty well and someone I really admire. Um, I asked – I thought this was a wrap because he said yes to me immediately. We just could never work the scheduling out. That was Dion. Okay. Dion was I, 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 I admire the hell out of Dion Sanders, and I had great opportunity a few years back when he was at Jackson State to participate in a fishing tournament with him, and so we got to spend some time together. And man, what a dude! Yeah. And so I would love to have had Coach Prime in there, but we just couldn't get the timing worked out. So I guess when I launch my podcast empire, I'll just have to have him on there. Let's uh, digress for one second. What have you thought about Coach Prime in Colorado so far in the early college? Uh, he's amazing. Amazing, right? Yeah. One win I mean, last look, year. He's the biggest, yeah. the biggest story in sports. Yep. They're breaking records. I, mean, I just read they broke the, the 10 o'clock window record again. So I think three games they've broken like the ratings record all three games. And you got to think what that means. Think about what that means. He came into a program one that win. had to have a culture – that was completely flipped on its ear and turned 180 degrees. He made he didn't even blink when he walked in the door. He said, look, what's going on here ain't going to work. I'm changing it right now. Some of y'all be here. Some of y'all won't. 
I'm bringing my own guys. Yeah, bringing my luggage, right? I'm bringing my bringing luggage. Bringing my Louis. <laughs> yeah. And then on top of that, he's built this. What do we want as human beings, brother? We want hope and belonging. At the fundamental human level, we want hope and belonging. And he has offered that not only to those young men under his direction, but also to that fan base and that university and hell, that state. And that is remarkable to do that fast. Let me ask you a question as a college football guy, because this isn't meant to take anything away from Dion at all. But obviously, 10 years ago, he wouldn't have been able to do this because these guys would have to sit out of here. Well, guys would have had to sit out of here at the very least, right? right? I And I, I don't have a side either way. I'm just wondering from you as a college football guy, is this good for college football, bad for college football? Because it's clearly a change, right? We wouldn't have been able to – Dion could have never done this, you know, without the portal, without the without the one-year rule, without the – or with the one-year rule, you know, without the way things are now. Is it better? Is it worse? Is it indifferent? Do you, do you have any stance on how the game um, has changed? So, all right, I'm 47 years old, okay? The college football I fell in love with is extinct. Yep, it's changing fast. That doesn't mean I don't love college football right now because I do, but it's a very different landscape. And when you consider that we're in this era now where because of NIL and the portal together at the same time, I'm all for players having rights. I'm all for players benefiting off of their names, images, likenesses, performances. Yeah, hell yeah. Personalities. The problem is there's no governance. Wild, wild west. I mean, there's no governance to the point where there are states that have passed legislation that give them more latitude and more advantageous opportunities to go get, look, let's forget it was meant to NIL was instituted. So players could make money off their names, images, and likenesses. Let's be honest and call it what it is. It's pay for play. Right now it's recruit. It's a recruiting tool now more than anything, right? Correct. You have that kid from that kid that's at Arizona state now. I mean, he laughed at the last hour from he switches commitment from Miami to Florida, and then when the bill came due, the people at Florida were like, ah, we're just not going to pay it, <laughs> and he had nothing, you know. So, there's, it could be. It, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's a very different, like very different landscape, and so you know, I think it, it probably is the eye of the beholder on what's better, what's not better, and sure. all those things. College football is awesome right now, but. All those rivalries and the regionalism that, you know, made it so amazing many moons ago. Stanford and Cal are in the ACC, Hoss. Yeah, Oklahoma I and mean, Texas about to go to the SEC next year. It's just a different – it's a different world. And, you know, you, you had a great line. You said, I'm I'm 47. The, the college football I fell in love with isn't today. I think if you fall in love with college football today – in 10 years, it's not going to be that college football either. It seems like it's just moving and evolving so fast right now. At some point, it'll probably settle, but I don't know what it's going to look like when it does. You know what I mean? Me either. Yeah. And, you know, it's not done, that's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh, for example, is an overwhelming proponent to profit share at the player level, the television revenue. Right. 
Now, that would be a substantial paradigm shift as well. So who knows what's coming? I certainly don't. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, Wild West. And then you have players like Caleb Williams who are, you know, now have taken the step to say, yeah, of course we should get the video game money and I should get more than the other guys. And, you know, Drake May should get more and it should be based. So it's it's going to be crazy to see it evolve. Uh, the sportscast is here with Marty Smith. Uh, he's got a new book called Sideline CEO Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches. And it's incredible. It's almost it's written like an oral history. Right. But it's mm-hmm. not an oral history. Um, it's more of a coach by coach um they they the chapters are different things like trust and um working on the sideline and different self evaluation different things like that and you go from coach to coach sort of um talking about their experiences and how they take those individual things i was wondering as i was reading through some of them uh over the last week or so when i was reading this what do you think you learned as the author? What do you think you learned the most about leadership and, and how has sort of putting this book together sort of affected your life? Because I think one of the interesting things for you is going to be hearing along the way how this has changed people's experience. Like you mentioned, a college football or high school football coach you met has already said, oh, that click now, I'm going to take this. What did you get out of it personally? I got a lot out of it. Um, I am someone who... I want to be present where I am. I'm not always great at it because in a high energy, high pressure job that's constantly moving, I'm not always great at being right where I am, where my feet are. But the most precious thing we can offer somebody else is time. And all of these coaches said to me, that in order to be a great leader, you better make time for your people. And that made me, it just reminded me so deeply that if I want to be the father I want to be, I have to make time for my children. If I want to be the husband I want to be, I have to make time for my wife. These things can't be in passing. That doesn't mean they won't be sometimes. But if you want to get the very best out of your players, you better go make time for them. Brian Kelly, there's a great story. He was at Notre Dame, and I went up there for college game day before the college football playoff a few years ago. And he had gone from that super red-faced, angry, throwing his visor guy to a guy who was smiling more and calmer and more composed. And I wondered why. He said he was sitting at his desk one day, angry as hell about something, looking across his desk and across his office on a table were all these photographs of his family. And it hit him like a ton of bricks. And he said, if I'm going to give my whole life to this game, I better start having some joy in it. And he got up right then, went down to the training room, sat down on the training table, put his arm around his players and started asking them about their lives. You can literally, brother change a life if you just take the time to ask someone about theirs and have a shut mouth and open ears. It's like Tim Corbin said in the book, the greatest gift you can give someone to show them that you actually care 
is listening. So I took a lot away from this, dude. Yeah, I thought Joe Gibbs was really great in it. Uh, his voice really stood out. Um, there was a something I, I highlighted in Crisis Management where he's talking about working in NASCAR and how with all the different you, you know people, money, occupations, and competition, yep. uh, when you put them together, you get dynamics all the time that causes issues. And I th- just thought what he said was really smart. And it's what you said. It's all about listening, right? You don't panic. You listen. That's a quote from Joe Gibbs. You don't panic. You listen. And you think about, you know, there's that other part, too. And Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney both said this. They just said it a different way. So many of us, especially today, are outcome-oriented because of what we see on social media. We compare ourselves to other people constantly. Why are they doing this and I'm not? All of that, right? If you are outcome-oriented, there is so much anxiety that comes with being outcome-oriented. If you're process-oriented, there's joy in the journey. Like, think about that, man. At Clemson, Dabo has the mantra, best is the standard, okay? Best is the standard. It's not about being the best. It's about being your best, and doing your best. And if you're focused on being the best, you're comparing yourself to other people. When you focus on being your best and doing your best, then you have the opportunity to what? Become the best. It's an inside-out approach. And all of us can look at life with that philosophy. Because we, we sit there and stare at social media constantly and flip through that crap all the time. Mm-hmm. And we end up invariably comparing ourselves, right? Yeah, I mean, I do it all the time. I get a show that maybe like pops off a little bit more than others, and I read sixty comments on it, and I focus on maybe the one that didn't like it. You know, right? We all so yep. do I, and that yep. just means we're insecure. Yeah, <laughs> I've said I've said for my whole well, not my whole. When I wrote my first book. One of the more dynamic things that I admitted about myself was my greatest insecurity. First of all, I'm willing to admit my insecurities. My greatest insecurity is I like to be liked. If you're a national host and reporter in sports, not everybody's going to like you. I promise. Right. So you just can't. That cannot be your self-definition. You can self-evaluate and go, you know what? That person's criticism, they're actually right. I wasn't very good in that situation. Then you use it to grow. But it certainly can't define you. Can't let it. I always talk about how if you if you go to Twitter during a Joe Buck game, any game he's calling, and you search his name, you will find an equal number of people who say that Joe Buck is biased. Like last night he called Steelers and Browns, right? If you would have searched last night, you could find an equal number of people who say, Joe Buck hates the Steelers, and an equal number of people say Joe Buck hates the Browns. Right? That means so, he's doing a great job. Right. So if you're, but if you're reading that and you're <laughs> Joe Buck, and, and you get upset that people are, uh, if you get upset upset about the particular criticism, it, you you really start whacking your head around like a ping pong ball because then the criticism is presented the other way, right? Oh no, he loves well, the Steelers. Like, he hates the Browns. No, he hates the Steelers. He loves the Browns. Like, all right, right, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't ultimately. We have to find the self-confidence within ourselves 
that no one else defines us. I learned that from Tim Tebow. Like Tim, Tim looked right at me and pointed his finger right at my face and said, no one else defines your life. They don't have that right. The book is called Sideline CEO Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches. Uh, Marty Smith is the author, and Tim Tebow wrote the foreword, as he just mentioned there. Uh, real quickly, and I'll let you go on this. I was a big fan, a big fan of Marty Smith's America. You got a cool Marty. Thanks, brother. You got a cool Marty Smith's America story, maybe to uh, to get us out on. Yeah, man, I I got a bunch actually. I mean, if the one I got to do some really cool stuff yeah, you on did. that show. I got to yeah, interview Tiger Woods. Yeah. I got to go to China with Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. I mean, some really neat stuff. And I remember being a kid and my parents telling me about the Beatles and how these beautiful young women would just fall out at the sight of the Beatles. I'm like, whatever, dude. Well, then (laughs) I saw it happen when Cristiano Ronaldo was walking to these events we would go to in China and these young women would just (laughs) gone, fall right out. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, my God, that's actually a real thing. (laughs) They were just passing out all over the place, huh? He was amazing to us. So was Tiger. I mean, they gave us, in both instances, we were given like a 20-minute interview window, right? Tiger wound up giving me 47, I think. And Cristiano gave me nearly 50 in the initial sit-down and then gave me three, I think, maybe four, four more two- to three-question off-the-shoulder interviews as the week went on. Like, Awesome to us. Wow. Really appreciate those guys. And ironically, I was given 30 minutes for this. Marty's just greenlit 30 more. Uh, part two. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I love it. I just try. Yeah, I just, there's something about the different places you went, the athletes you were spoke to. That's just a great, one of my favorite sports center ESPN type things was always Marty Smith. Thank you. Marty it means Smith. a lot to me, man. We miss it. We'd love to. We love to re-rack that bad boy. I can tell you that. I love to watch it. What do you want to? What do you want to plug? What do you want to get out there in terms of the book? Anything else you're doing? What, what do you want to mention for for the listeners? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, ultimately, thank you for the platform. Yeah, I, I'm so grateful to get to share with you, brother. And if you guys that are listening could go get Sideline CEO, you can get it at any retailer. I hope it impacts your life. And yeah, we're in the middle of college football season, so. Be on the lookout. i got a bunch of college game day features coming that are really important to me. Hosting Marty and McGee every Saturday as well as for the next couple weeks, SEC Nation, while my colleague Laura Rutledge is doing Monday Night Football. So we'll be around. Uh, thank you guys for your support of, of ESPN. Thank you to ESPN. I mean, they, they've given me such a tremendous platform to be able to grow and, and, and become a better person. So I'm grateful for that. Got a NASCAR championship prediction? I do. Uh, I feel like it's Denny's year. Okay. Um, I've said that before, mind you, and he's not won a championship yet. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer regardless whether he wins a championship. But I just feel like his self-confidence is optimum right now. And they're really – they're competitive and fast everywhere, which is the first component. you got to have speed everywhere. So – if he can get through that Roval okay in Charlotte, uh, I think he's got a real good chance, man. Thanks so much for this, Marty. Let's do it again down the road sometime. I'd like to pick your brain some more when you're not as busy, but I really appreciate it. Sideline CEO, Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches. 
All right, I want to thank Marty Smith and Richard Deitch for being on the show today. Don't forget, you can hear this episode and all episodes of the podcast on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters and email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram, I'm at sportscasters, and don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Uh, the 24-inch podcast, my show with Hollywood Dave and Paula Bennett is available on the Sportscasters feed on SoundCloud as well. You can find us on Twitter at 24inchpodcast, Instagram at 24 underscore inch underscore podcast, uh, 24inchpodcast at gmail.com, or search 24inchpodcast on Facebook and join our group. And those are the plugs for now. All right, one last thing for me today, and I went back to college last week. Uh, I think I've said on this show before, I started off at Syracuse and then I went to Niagara. So I wanted to be closer to home and I kind of lost my will to be educated at Niagara. It didn't work out the way I hoped. I did fine there, but I just, I didn't enjoy it. I got stuck in between living there and dormant. I was, I was living at home and didn't really have a great home life at the time. And it was a long commute and I spent more time at the hockey rink and working at holiday and my heart just wasn't in it, and I was kind of done with school, but I knew I had to go if I wanted to be able to live in my house, and so I decided to transfer to ECC and give it another shot and see what comes of it, and I kind of in the back of my head knew I wanted to go to Fredonia, so I think I was telling my mom uh, that, you know, I just wanted to get a couple classes out of the way at ECC, and then that I would, um, you know, I would join school at Fredonia. And uh, it would everything would work out. So the very first class I take at ECC is Mass Media 100. Now, I really don't even need this class. I took this class at Niagara already. Um, and it, certainly my grade for it at Niagara was fine, B plus or A or something. And would transfer over no problem. But I don't know. Just something told me to, to sign up for it. And I knew I would do well in it. Just kind of, I guess, just get out there and get in something you know you can succeed in and kind of change momentum, right? And the very first class, it's in this lecture hall in the main building of the EC South campus. And the teacher walks in and he starts handing out dittos to everyone, you know, pass this around, you know. And he says, you know, I don't know if these guys are popular anymore. This is the summer, I guess, of... Uh, this is right before 9-11. So this is like, you know... August 31st, 2001. Um, and the ditto comes to me and I look at it and it's lyrics to the Pearl Jam song, Who You Are. And um, he starts playing the song. So my first class ever at ECC where I'm at rock bottom, the teacher is playing Who You Are to the class. And his main point was there's this line in the song that says, if this moss from the side of the road has a role on this earth, 
then surely you have a role on the earth. If something so small and insignificant could have a role, then of course you have a role. And his name is John Harrigan, and he's the best teacher I've ever had, the best teacher I ever will have. And it changed everything for me, everything. And I got in there, and I got, I took care of my business, and I got good grades, and I got good classes done, and I transferred to Fredonia, and I eventually graduated after a whole other story there with my health deteriorating and all that. Uh, but John Harrigan and EC South, CCC South, it saved me. And that's not hyperbole. Uh, and I love John so much that there was, it, when it became the summer, in between going to ECC, leaving ECC and going to Fredonia, I still took a class. I took a film class uh, for no reason other than I wanted to be in class with John one more time. Uh, so I took that class and really enjoyed that. I had a great summer with him. Uh, and then I would see him from time to time um, at Sabres games. And I would email him occasionally and say hello. Uh, and then we kind of, I kind of lost touch with them for a bit. And then like right before the pandemic, I had reached out to him and I went and visited him on campus. And I was, I was saying like, I have this podcast and I love to talk to your students about podcasting if anyone's interested. And, you know, I'd love to have a role in the communication department on campus if there is one for me. And we talked about all these plans. And then, of course, the pandemic came. Like, that was like December of uh, 2019, I guess. And then by March of 2020, everything changed for a couple of years. Uh, and then I got back in touch with him recently, and he said he had retired. He was teaching a class at ECC this semester, but that was pretty much going to be it. And I wrote and said, hey, can I come and just sit in on a class? And he said, you're always welcome. And I went down there last week and sat in on a lecture and met a student named Paul. Paul, shout out if you're listening. Uh, and had lunch with him and talked to him about podcasting because he's interested in doing it. And uh, uh, Dr. Harrigan uh, set me up with, uh, this gal, Gina, who kind of now runs the department, and she's going to call me tomorrow and see what more I can do there. But I know one thing is that for the rest of this semester, you know, I'm going to go to some more lectures. I'm going to go be in that class a few more times because, you know, I just feel like he has more to teach me yet. You know, I feel like his voice, John Harrigan's voice is the voice um, of it, it. It woke me up before, and I feel like right now I need to be woken up again. You know, I feel like the the last couple of years has taken a lot out of me physically and mentally and emotionally, spiritually. But it's time to, to wake up because I got a girl out there, seven years old, who's counting on dad to be the best dad he can be. And I knew I needed something. I knew I needed something. I didn't know what, but I sent an email to John Harrigan. And by doing nothing really other than saying, I'd love to see you, love to have you, um, I took that first step to waking back up and going down there and sitting through a lecture. I'm going to go back on August or October 23rd, a Monday. Um, and, you know, I'll probably go a few more times after that um, because, like I said, I know that he has more to teach me. Um, 
whether it's in those lectures or lunch that we sit in on after or whatever. Uh, but there's more. There's another lesson I know that I need to hear from him. So I'm going to go out there. But shout out to the greatest professor I'll ever have, the greatest teacher of my lifetime, uh, John Harrigan, ECC South legend. Uh, just Google his name, John Harrigan, ECC South, and look at the grades. Look at the comments from people besides me and see what they think of him as a teacher. Um, because as people say, he's goat status. Take that.